Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 4 Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusick, and this week returning to the podcast is Beth Ann Nichols. Beth Ann is my friend and colleague at Golf Week Magazine and GolfWeek.com, and she's also the preeminent women's golf writer in the United States. That's not a joke. She's as good as it gets. She is out there all the time. She is very close with many of the players. She understands the women's game better, I think, than anybody out there. So with this week's LPGA Tour CME Group Tour Championship taking place in Naples, Florida. I knew I definitely wanted to talk with her about that event, about the contenders, and about basically putting a bow on the LPGA Tour season. Bethann and I also talked about some of the decisions that elite collegiate players have been forced to make um, after LPGA Tour Q School. Several collegiate players earned tour cards, and they had to decide, are they going to take that up and become professionals? Are they going to hold off on turning pro, or are they just not going to turn pro at all? Bethann was in Pinehurst and had a chance to talk with a lot of those players and really has some insightful, good ideas and thoughts about that topic. She was also there for the Kendall Dye and Christina Kim rules controversy that took place during LPGA Tours School. So I definitely wanted to get her opinion and her thought um, about that whole thing and everything that went down. And you'll definitely want to hear what she has to say. Get stronger, hit longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard and co-author of the Younger Next Year Back Book, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the Take Anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body primed for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. Hello, and I would like to welcome my good friend and fellow Golf Week senior writer, Beth Ann Nichols, back to the Four Press Podcast. Beth Ann, you are a warmer person than I am all the time, both now in person, because you're in Florida and I'm in Connecticut, freezing. Um, how's the gardening going? Tell me what it's like to be outside and warm once again. <laughs> I was just checking on my sweet potato vines that are growing like wildfire. <laughs> sweet potato? No, it's like it's. I mean, yes, they're, they're awesome. <laughs> I didn't know. I mean, I, I should know this. I live actually in the bedding plant capital of new England. We don't have a lot of vines here other than the ones that are choking trees and stuff like that. What, how much space do sweet potato vines really need? Well, I mean, it depends on if I have them in hanging baskets, I have them, um, cr- growing along the ground for like some ground cover. Um, you know, it's, it just depends on they, they, they take on a life of their own. Apparently, they're edible. I've never, I've never tried that, but I've read it. <laughs> I've, uh, I haven't done that yet. I have had zucchini blossoms. Um, usually, they're stuffed with something yummy like goat cheese and then fried up. And pretty much, if you if you combine cheese and fried food, 
typically you're 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 on the right track. Just just right there. <laughs> if you're frying cheese, you've you've got something that's probably going to be pretty t- probably not so healthy for you. But um, how much garden you've gotten into? Not that we're going to turn this into a whole horticulture kind of a podcast, but like you got really into gardening this last fall and summer, didn't you? I I did. I mean, I I don't know what's happened to me, but pulling weeds is like therapeutic for me so somehow just going outside sure as hell isn't therapeutic for my wife let me tell you we did it all summer it was like the (laughs) anti-therapy it was raging in like creating pulling weeds oh (laughs) i know i know but there's but there's instant gratification and something all of a sudden looking so much better after you know minimal effort although usually i'm a little yeah i need need to stretch now before (laughs) i get older Father, father time is still undefeated. Yeah, it's it's got it's got us all. There is a gratification to working in the yard, getting dirty, doing all that stuff, and then you look outside and you're like, yeah, okay, it looks better, or I can see that mission has been accomplished to get all that stuff done. I I totally get that. It's also the antithesis of what you and I do, which is oftentimes watching other people and observing, and then sitting and thinking and doing this thing. Like where it's it's an active passive kind of an activity. You you need to be sort of thinking and using your head and taking notes and being aware, but you're not actually the one who's doing anything. I mean, maybe you're walking with groups or something like that, but you're sitting in a media center or you're sitting at home in front of a but You don't see something tangible. When you work in the garden and you do stuff like that, it's tangible. Like it's, it's right there. I've got tomatoes in the basket. I've got flowers in a vase. I've got something going on and I got dirty and I worked up a sweat and that I, I do like that. And it's the antithesis of what you and I do mostly day to day. Yes, and you don't have to think. <laughs> That's the beauty. You don't have to think when you're pulling weeds. You just, you just, you just pull weeds. It's, it's fabulous. <laughs> so, so speaking of thinking, Elbon Valenzuela was able to think and play enough to get herself into Stanford and to be on the golf team. And I, you, you wrote a really interesting piece. And her story to me is is fascinating for people who are listening to this podcast who are not aware of who Elbon Valenzuela is. She went to LPGA Tours. Q school, um, and she was able to finish six, and she now has a 2020 LPGA Tour card. She has decided to forego the rest of her season, her senior season, playing collegiate golf at Stanford, and she's turning pro. And of the five players who teed it up in Q school, Valenzuela is now the fourth to earn a card and decide she's turning pro. Uh, Jennifer Chang from USC, uh, Frida Knault from Florida State, and Sierra Brooks from Florida are also turning pro. You, you're very familiar with this whole situation. You talked to her uh, at Pinehurst during Q School. What Do, do you think that, that, that she went into that experience figuring if I earn a card, I'm going to go? Or do you think that as the experience for her at Q School built on and it became clear she was going to make it, that, that it's something she needed to sort of decide as she went through the process at Pinehurst? Well, I think Albon has a very unique situation compared to all the other players that you mentioned, and her and her teammate Andrea Lee, who's also in the same situation, yep. um, and and has yet to make a decision. Right. But in, in that, Albon competed in the Olympics in 2016 for Switzerland, and mm-hmm. she actually um, had a gap year after high school so that she could play in enough tournaments as an amateur to try to to uh, make it to, to Rio and and she did and and now that's what's driving this decision so she wants to go to Tokyo next year if the cutoff for for points at the top 60 uh, make it uh, is the end of June and mm-hmm. so if Albon plays 
her final semester at Stanford, essentially her her LPGA membership does nothing to help her achieve her number one goal of competing in the Olympics again. So, so she's a unique case. Uh, she thinks that's like the perfect bookend for Stanford. She will have just graduated. She's still going to graduate with a degree in political science, uh, and, and hopes to walk with her class in June. And then, uh, hopefully, uh, for her qualify for the Olympics to represent Switzerland once again. So that, that's her her main motivation, uh, and and yes, she knew going into Q school, she was she didn't want to share all of that. Uh, she you know she she didn't want to talk a whole lot about um, you know the the ifs and the mm-hmm. what ifs uh, going in, but but yeah, that that's been her driving force for a long time, and um, and I I and and we talked about how the the system is broken. I mean, it's. I think it's completely broken. You look at Maria Fossey and, and, and Jennifer Cup show, the LPGA offers an option to defer both, you know, several players, Kristen Gilman, Lauren Stevenson, they go on and, and, and turn professional from Alabama last year and, mm-hmm. and, and Cup show and Fossey defer. Both of them have these amazing spring seasons and, and turn pro after, after the NCAA championship and are, are not able to keep their cards playing essentially a half a year and yet after that story of you know watching these two players keep their cards so far no one has followed suit well and so that far, was gonna, everyone... that, that's gonna be my next question is why why are people not doing that because to me i understand if valenzuela's situation is that her her main goal for 2020 is to to get on the olympic team and because she is not going to be representing for example the united states or south korea or some of the powerhouse nations that are filling women at the top of the rankings and therefore it's probably very unrealistic that she could qualify from those countries she has a legitimate shot of going back and she got a taste of the olympics in rio i get that case as you said that's a different kind of case but what would be the motivation for players to not do this because obviously jennifer cupcho had an amazing season that these women if they remain amateurs have a legitimate chance to to do and to to go through finish up their collegiate season potentially play in the ANWA, which was a huge success this year at Augusta, um, they're taking that out. Why, why are they not foregoing if, if they're able to, to push their, their card back to June? Why not do that? Well, I, th- I think, you know, the, first and foremost, if you've been to Q Series, you don't ever want to go back. I get that. <laughs> that I totally eight, get. It's eight rounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and players say, you know, first of all, there's the, there's the cost of going through you know, multiple stages potentially again. Yep. Uh, and, and, you know, you look at the number of events that you're missing, like I said, half a season and, and you look at the, all the, the risks involved with, you know, the fact that you, you know, I think we have to fully appreciate what Cupcho and Fossey have done to, to have gone through, you know, the rigors of, of academics and, and playing golf for your for your mm-hmm. your college, and then and then hit, taking no break, hitting the gas pedal hard, playing in everything you could possibly get into. Sure, the toll that that takes on you mentally and physically to keep that up, and 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 keep your card, and not end up back at Q school is it's a really tall task. And I think these players appreciate that, and they understand that. Even, you know, they know they're ready for the next level and, and there are a lot of risks. What if you get injured? What if you're, what if you're burnt out by the time you get to, you know, September and, and now all of a sudden, 
you know, you, you're, you're back at Q series and, and, and so you have no break again because mm-hmm. you have to go back to stage two potentially on, on to Q series and, and you're, you know, you're toast and now you're on the Symmetra tour the next year. So, so I, I get all the, I get all the reasons why players do it, but it's, it's so unfortunate that they're in this situation to begin with because there's no other sport where the draft occurs before the national championship. So, you know, the players in, in, in any other sport aren't faced with this decision of, of, of abandoning their program before their school, before they get to the national championship. So, I, I, I mean, I just, I hate it for these players. I, I wish that the LPGA could come up with, with a better system that doesn't gut college teams because, you know, it, it, it does. It really shakes up college programs in a massive way, teams, because these players play for teams that are vying to win the national championship. Sure, and, that, and, and that's, I guess, going to be my next, my next question player. is that if, let, let's say that you move this whole process to September, or the end of I I don't know the the ideal time because at some point or another Bethan you're gonna if these players are going to achieve what they've done which is essentially get a tour card for the next season and th- there's no place on the calendar where you're not going to quote you know as you say gut out some of these elite programs that are going for national championships would you have them do it you know in August before school starts as at the end of the season so but then they can't participate I would imagine in any of the the, the tournaments that have been going on through the fall and the early part of the winter, they're starting the next calendar year. So what would be, for example, 2020. Um, it doesn't seem like there's a solution. If, if, if you're going to have players, just like in college basketball, or not quite as much in football, we don't see it as much, but when players leave a collegiate sport program early, it's always going to be players who are the best players, and they're usually going to play for the best teams. So... What what can you imagine would be a fix? When would you want them to do this so that it wouldn't affect the potential championship aspirations of a collegiate team? So I, I think you have, uh, you know, as you say, it's it's a complicated situation. Um, I I would like to see players um, have to make the decision of turning professional before they get there. Um, I think that. I'm sorry, before they get there, want. before they get to school or before they show up at Q school, the final stage? Q school. Okay. Yeah, I think, okay. I think you have to be a pro to play to play in Q series, you know, potentially even play in any stage. Okay. Um, I mean, I, the, the only reason I, I'm okay with, with going through to the second stage is because then you can have your guaranteed symmetric status if you finish the sixth. You have some place to play. Right. When, when you have, yes, exactly. Um, but otherwise, you know, now you, now you're forced to make a decision and you think a lot differently about it because you don't have a safety net now. Mm -hmm. So the professionals in the field are actually, it's actually an unfair advantage that these amateurs have. They're able to play so much freer than the professionals because they have the safety net of college. So it's, it's a, it's a much easier eight rounds in my opinion for the amateur players than it is for the pros. And, and so, you know, I think, I think, the option is either to 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 do that to make make it so you have to be a professional to play in Q series, or come up with some kind of of exemption um, opportunity for for players after they you know if you if you finish you know your spring semester the top X number of players in the Wagger or 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 the or the Golf Week Sagarin 
rankings get X number of starts mm-hmm. on the LPGA. Um, you know that, or maybe something like if if the players who are in that situation, because numerically there aren't going to be that many. I mean, we're really we're not talking about you right. know scores. We're talking about a, a handful. Maybe there's a status, for example, where if a player decides to push off the tour card until June, until after the NCAA's are completed, that they only have to achieve a certain amount of money based on last year's money list, sort of like a medical exemption. Where a player or gets wraparounds to the next year, right? There's a or certain number, a certain number of starts where you have to achieve either a money or a point total or something that basically shows, yeah, this player is is good enough. And had she played a full season, it's totally fair to think that she would have maintained or kept her card. Um, and so, therefore, you, you've got your tour status for, in most case, what we're talking about, like would be 2021, keeping your card even though you physically only played half the season. Um, that to me seems viable, and that then opens it up. What do the college coaches think about the 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 situation as it is now, and how things are scheduled, and what this is doing? Well, it puts them in an impossible situation, you know. And then most most of them, you know, would love to have a better dialogue with the tour to try to work something out that um, you know benefits both parties. Because you know, but they also understand that. You know, it's it's not Mike Wan's responsibility. College golf isn't Mike Wan's responsibility. Right, right. True, but but at the same time, this is your primary feeder system for for the LPGA, and 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 this is the primary feeder system for American golf. And as I wrote in a column last year, you know, you have you have all the people that are left behind in this mess that, you know, that uh, across multiple programs that, you know, are, are, are going to go on and, and, and be the leaders in golf. You know, you want them to stay in the game. You want them to love the game. You want them to work in the game, play after they graduate, you know, all of these things have ripple effects. And, you know, these are the, the women that are playing college golf. Most of them won't ever play at the next level, but you know, for the game to continue to grow, we want them to stay in it, you know? And so, so I just think there has to be a better way to, to make the experience overall, um, you know, beneficial for everyone, because it's just, there's no other sport where, where college programs are, are wrecked like this, you know, mid season. Mm-hmm. So while all that is going on and congratulations to the women who were able to get their cards, there was a whole fiasco, a <laughs> yet another rules fiasco that, that went down, um, involving Kendall Dye, Dewey Weber, and Christina Kim. And you were out there, and we had a whole bunch of what Walk me through sort of what, what happened. The way that I understand it um, is it should have been a pretty cut-and-dry situation, but things got sort of murky, and, and, and different things, of course, social media plays a role in this. Walk people through, if they haven't heard this, what, what exactly went down in that whole thing. So essentially, uh, in the in the sixth round, um, they they're on their eighth hole, which is the seventeenth hole, part a par three at at Pinehurst number nine, and and Christina Kim hits first, and uh, Kendall Die, Davy Weber gets on the tee, and Kendall Die uh, looks over at at, at, at uh, Weaver's caddy and and holds up three fingers essentially asking is this is she hitting an eight signifying an eight iron exactly yep and and the caddy you know holds up three fingers and and confirms that it what that it is an eight iron although funny enough 
David pulled the wrong club out of the bag on accident. So she was actually hitting a nine iron. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and, and Kendall ended up hitting a seven iron. So it's all kind of funny in the end in that regard. That was the only funny part about it. But, um, but Christina uh, sees this interaction take place and after the round um, informs the players that and talks to rules officials and says, you know, I think there's been a rules violation here, um, uh, rule 10-2, and that um, you've been given advice. And so uh, both players are docked two strokes, even though Davey had no idea any of this exchange had even transpired. Her yeah. caddy is still an extension of her. And so, um, so they both are docked two strokes, which at the time, you know, Davey was actually she was pretty, in the she had a safely yeah. correct. And, and those two strokes uh, were, were costly. She, even with the two strokes, she was still inside the cut line of, of, of getting LPGA status. But she didn't sleep. She didn't eat that night. Uh, she and her caddy were just completely distraught, um, as, as was Kendall, who was also on the cusp. And, um, and so, you know, they, they, they both basically, especially Baby, um, had a terrible um, round in, in the seventh round. And, and, and neither one of them got their card. And so they were, they were pretty upset, uh, both of them, that, that they weren't informed of, of the infraction uh, immediately, that it didn't, they didn't know about it until the end of the round. Well, and, and if I understand and then, things correctly, then Christina Kim, who was the person who called the infraction, motioned and, and tried to talk to a rules official, and I believe did, on the green right after the hole was played and was given the option, do you want to handle this now or do you want to handle this after the round? And I agree with the way that, as I understand it, she handled it, which is like, let's talk about it after the round, because if I'm mistaken, I don't want to get, we're here at Q school. Everybody's got a job to do. We're all under an enormous amount of stress. If I'm wrong, I don't want to have that affect the rest of their play today. Is that accurate as, as far as she went? Yeah, that was, that was her reasoning. Uh, she didn't, she didn't want to bother them during, you know, during the round. Um, but they, they wanted to know, I mean, what happens if it happens again on an, on another hole, if Kendall flashes a two, two fingers on, right. on the next par three, you know? Yep. So, um, you know, it's a, and, 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 and they, it, you know, you, you had a, a late finish early turnaround. Um, it was hard to get, get all that information in the scoring tent. Then rules officials took over an hour to come back to them and tell them that they were getting their two strokes. Uh, and it was just hard to process all of that at night and turn around the next morning and, and, and put it behind them. Um, so, you know, there's, there's different ways to look at that, but, um, how do you, how do you feel about the, the handing out of the situation after the round rather than handling it right after it occurred? Well, personally, I, if, if, if I made a violation, I'd like to know right then and there so that I don't do it again. Because I just covered a tournament in which a, in which a player got 58 penalty strokes <laughs> Whoops! for doing the same thing over and over again and had no idea she was violating a rule. So um, so I'd, I'd want to know right away um, so that there's some finality to it and I can, I can move on and, and know what I'm up against Yeah. Um, and know what I need to do. Yeah, but, I think that the, the, the compounding effect, the danger of a compounding effect would warrant handling it. I, I agree. I, I If I were the player who was subject to that, I'd want to know. Because, as you say, like it, let, let's say that it happens a few times. And then what that sort of addresses what Kendall Dye took to, to Twitter to assess that she had seen this 
you know, thousands of times and that it happens all over the place and players are doing this. When you've been out there uh, covering LPGA Tour events, PGA Tour events, other things, have you seen players, caddies, it's people flashing fingers back and forth, exchanging club information? No, and to be honest with you, I was never really looking for it. You know, I mean, mm. you see it all the time in 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 regards to television. Yes, um, yep. but but I I've never I, I've never looked for that. I've never really paid attention. So, uh, but but I talked to enough people to figure out what was Kendall talking about that she'd seen happen thousands of times. Because in in, in Kendall says. You know, look, I, I didn't know that I broke a rule. I didn't know that this is illegal. I, I see this happen all the time. And so I talked to, you know, a, a lot of a lot of players and caddies. And, and it turns out that caddies do signal each other a lot uh, and that it's a it's a common occurrence. Um, and, and mostly it's just out of convenience. If if you're standing on the bat, I mean, if you're standing on the tee and you want to know what what someone else is, is, is hitting, you can legally walk over to the bag, peek in and see what club is missing. So oftentimes as someone is walking toward the bag to, to take a look, a caddy just might flash the fingers to, to save you the extra step. Um, they, they know why you're walking over toward the bag, you know, here's Mm -hmm. what you're looking for. It's an eight iron, you know? So, um, it's, it sounds innocent, uh, and, and, and the motive behind it, um, it's just sort of, it also sounds innocent and in that look, you, you know, this information is available to you. I'm just helping you to get it a little bit easier, but the reality is it, it breaks a rule. Um, as, as we said earlier, caddies are extensions of players. So it's really yeah. no different than a player telling a player. I, um, I, to be honest with you, I, I know the rule. I don't know the whole rule book backwards and forwards, but I'm also not a professional golfer. It's not my job to do that. I have the luxury of being able to refer to, a rule book when situations like this occur and looking up and trying to get a fuller understanding of exactly what's going on. But even I, when I'm playing with my buddies, I will honestly, and this is going to sound geeky. I avert my eyes when I see them pulling clubs and stuff. I just don't even want to know number one, because I'm so inconsistent. It probably would be more hurtful than helpful for me to know what somebody else is playing. But I just known that rule that like, you're not allowed to solicit or ask for or get advice um, from your playing committee, you can't get advice basically from anybody. You got to go out there and use your wits and figure it out. That's part of the game. Um, I would imagine you, when you, you, I mean, you played a lot of more competitive golf at a higher level than I have. Did, did you ever do the, the drive by of another player's bag to see like, Oh, is she hitting eight? Is she hitting nine? Is she hitting five? Anything like that? No, I never looked at anyone's bag. Uh, I, and, and, to be honest with you, the thought never really even occurred to me to do it. <laughs> maybe that's why we're writing instead of playing. Maybe maybe, maybe that's that the reason. Is, that's a that's a good point. Damn it! Um, it should have been a seven iron back then. <laughs> I know. But but, know, but but if we know those rules, how are you a professional golfer? And you're you're claiming that I've seen it. That like I didn't know that rule. I, that to me, I, I understand. You know that okay. I should have been told immediately. I don't like that. But, but but that's a, such a simple rule. If a, if a doofus like me knows that rule, how does Kendall Dye not know that rule? How I mean, I get that the caddies maybe flash it back and forth. I certainly I have seen um, caddies flashing to um, runners, as they're usually referred to for broadcasts. So uh, when you're watching CBS or Golf Channel, the people who are in towers are oftentimes the, the people who are the on-course analysts, uh, the Dottie Peppers of the world, 
uh, formally, you know, some some other people with CBFs like Peter Costa said, they're, they're not always right there with the groups. They might be out in the fairway, but they will get a signal from somebody who is with the group who will get a fingers or will be able to find, oh, this is going to be seven iron in this par three or this par five. They're hitting such and such club. They will get that information from the caddy, relay it very quietly into a microphone that's attached to a walkie talkie that they're wearing on silent so that the producers of the show will know and they can put up a graphic that says something to the effect of like, oh, this is, you know, four iron from 204 yards away. And that's how you get that club information. There's not an indicator light on every club in a pro's bag that says this is what the club is. And oftentimes people are so far away they can't see it. They'll get that information from the caddies. Um, but to, to me, how does th- – th- that is in an indefensible thing to me that Kendall Dye was unaware that that was the rule. I, I'm just absolutely at a loss when it comes to that one. You know, I, I, I agree. I think um, I think it, it, she just um, had, a, had, a, had a lapse. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think, I think obviously she knew asking a fellow player was against the rules. <laughs> Um, but I just crazy. think she just had a, a brain lapse that, you know, that, that your caddy is an extent, you know, someone else's caddy is an extension of the player. Um, and, and, and just didn't somehow didn't put it together. Um, what do you think about the way that Christina Kim handled this and, and what was your reaction to the reaction on her in the days that followed? Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I know that a lot of a lot of players were upset that Christina put it on on social media and Christina left out names. She didn't she didn't specifically say who who it was or what role was broken. Mm-hmm. But um, it doesn't take a genius to look at scorecards like right. I did and figure out, you know, at least the parties that were involved. So um so, you know, and, and sometimes it's worse when you don't say, you know, when, when people can look on scorecards and figure out who it was, it, it, their imaginations run wild in, sure. in what these players could have possibly done, yep. you know, to get these penalties and what she's referring to. And, and, it, and it's better to, to give details rather than let people, you know, think the worst or assume the worst. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I think uh, she she probably should have kept all of that off of social media. Uh, you know, she, she, she reported it to the rules officials, end of story. If someone like me finds out about it, cause I hear it through the grapevine because I'm on site, then, you know, then it comes to light. But if Christina Kim doesn't tweet about it, uh, there's a high probability that none of us this ever is, know. This is a non-story. Exactly. I agree. It's a non-story. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that she absolutely had a right and, and a duty to report that. If she saw that, She's a veteran player, and to some ways, it's it's protecting the field. I mean, if other people are not going, if other people are going to play by the rules, and these other players are not, then you have to protect the field and the rights of the field. And so, I have no problem whatsoever with her reporting it. Whether she needed to go out on social and do that, that's that's her decision, and I, I get that. You, as you mentioned, she didn't name names, but you look at scorecards, you look at who she was grouped with, and okay, you kind of got it. Um, so yeah, I don't have a problem with her taking it out on social. I don't know that I would have done it, but at the end of the day, the wrong was done um, by Kendall Dye. And and I don't think that really Christina Kim deserves any backlash or any animosity towards her. I, I get it, but I, I side with her. I don't think that she really did anything wrong at this point, and it would be a pity to sort of heap anything on her. 
she didn't do anything wrong. The one who I really feel bad about is, is Dewey Weber. She, she had nothing to do with any of this, didn't partake in any of this, but obviously her caddy did. And she gets a two-stroke penalty. She ended up not getting her tour card. She missed it by nine shots. Um, Kendall Dime missed by four shots. Christina Kim did get her card. So say what you will about karma. Uh, but but she also was an unwitting victim in all this. I feel terrible for her. Did, did you talk to her? Did you see what her reaction was after everything was over? What she was, uh, what did she say? Yeah, she was gutted. And and, and she, she said to me, you know, I... It, it shouldn't have affected me the way that it did. You know, I should have been able to to bounce back from it. Um, That's a big ask. Better better than I did. But and the funny and again, not funny, haha. But the amazing thing is, this has happened to her before. <laughs> Good. So at, at the NCAA only, it was the reverse. Maybe the she NCAA should maybe, maybe, maybe she should take up gardening. Maybe this is what <laughs> no, she it's needs. It's a lot. It's a lot less stressful. <laughs> so yeah. you know, it's it's. It's kind of crazy how the how the world sort of works like that. So the the end of the season is sort of upon us now here with the LPGA Tour. The CME Group Tour Championship is taking place. It's going to be once again at Timberland Golf Club in Naples, Florida. There's been some format changes to the event this year, and um, I think it's great. I, I love the idea that they have opened it up so that any woman who is in the field has an opportunity to win the, the top prize. It's a $5 million purse. And one and a half million dollars is the winner's check. It's the biggest single prize in the history of women's golf. How important is it today that that the LPGA Tour is able to keep increasing purses at its most elite event, the marquee season-ending event, and get you know that one point five million is not anything like, or even in you know the the, the same tax bracket as it seems as the FedEx Cup winner who's getting 15 million and and that kind of ridiculous money but but it's an increase. How important is it for the LPGA Tour to keep increasing that prize money and trying to keep up with the Joneses of sports when it comes to its season-ending championship? Well, it's everything, you know. Um look, quite frankly, the, the odds are it's highly possible that whoever wins the $1.5 million, their life probably won't change because they already probably have made quite a bit of cash. Yep. However, what this does is it, you know, it, it's, it hopefully uh, encourages, uh, pushes along, you know, major championships, regular events. We just saw a big purse increase at the Dow, a team event uh, announcement earlier this week. You know, I, you, you want it, it to trickle down to the, to the rest of the tour and have these these title sponsors push each other um, to keep to keep moving the needle in women's golf because there are a lot of players on the tour that have a hard time making ends meet and ultimately leave the game mm-hmm. because they don't have the money. So it's um, it, 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 even though, like I said, the, 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 this is the top 60 players in this field, it's a limited field. Uh, so, so it's, it's probably not, there's probably not anyone in the field that's thinking about quitting and this is going to keep them in the game, but it's, it's what it signifies, what it can potentially do for the rest of the, of the tour, the rest of the schedule that, that matters. I, I think it's, yeah, I agree. I think it's critical to try and have the rest of the tour events keep up with the times and, and try and get as much as they can for the women who are out there playing the purses, um, sometimes we're so used to looking at the PGA Tour numbers where the winner of a week-to-week PGA Tour event can earn over a million. And you see some of the stuff that guys will make for, you know, a tie for eighth 
will be a couple hundred thousand dollars, depending on how things break out. And that's that's crazy money. And the LPGA Tour players don't often play for that kind of money for those types of finishes. Um, and I don't think that a lot of people are even aware of that. I think that they know that the men, by and large, are playing for a lot more money than the women. But the disparity is enormous. And um, anything that the LPGA Tour can do to try and boost up the purse sizes, the winnings for the elite players and such like that, I think is nothing but positive. Stacy Lewis is one of those players who has probably earned more than her share. She, she's done some really great stuff. I thought it was super crazy that uh, for a piece that you wrote for Thursday for golfweek.com, that she was able to get into the field for the CME after not playing basically what the last six weeks, the last six events um, because of an injury. Tell me about a little bit about her story for people who may not be aware of this. That's pretty crazy that she was able to do this. Yeah, I mean, Stacy was probably the most shocked. Uh, she, <laughs> so she, you know, if, if if you remember, she pulled out of the Solheim Cup uh, with a with a, with a, rib, a rib injury, yeah. and uh, and so thought that the rest of her season uh, was was over, and uh, didn't think it was possible that she could she could hold her spot at the, at that time. She was fifty fourth in the list, six the top sixty make the field, and. And, you know, Shirley thought she'd, she'd drop like a lead balloon, you know, with six events and, and not didn't. playing. And she didn't. And her, it was her caddy who called her up and was like, I think you have a chance. And she's like, a chance of what? Like, like <laughs> a what chance are you of talking what? about? How is this possible? So, so, so how, she hadn't been practicing. So how was it possible? How was it that she was able to play, to, to miss the last six events and only go down six spots and still still get into CME? How'd that happen? Uh, I guess. I guess I guess nobody made any big moves. I mean, it's it's. I mean, to be quite honest with you, it's it's a totally different look. Look, normally we're looking at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Normally we're paying attention to, right. you know, who has a chance at 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 winning the the the, the now one point five million dollars before it was a million dollar bonus because it was only you know nine or ten players who that could who had it. a shot at right it. that that had the, their destiny in their own hands right. Correct. So this has been a completely different uh, situation this year in that anyone in the field can win. So now, you know, there's a lot more interest looking at, you know, the 60th position, which before was just kind of like, oh, yeah, you're happy to be here. But <laughs> and, 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 the, and the thing of it is, you know, I was talking to Stacey about this. I said, you know, do you think there'll be a different vibe out there? She said, oh, yeah. She goes, everybody will be playing a lot harder this time. Absolutely. You know, it's just a sure. completely different um, atmosphere that, that, that you'll see out there. And I think that's, that's so exciting for this tournament. You'll have you'll have a better field because players used to skip this event if they didn't have a chance at the at the CME bonus money. Um, they used to just stay in Asia because you know the tour was coming. It was a really tough turnaround to come in the past from yep. China straight to Naples. Now at least there's there's a week off uh, in between Japan and Naples. Uh, but but a lot of you know top Asian players were just like I'm I'm I don't have a chance at the bonus I'm just going to stay in Asia and and start my off season a little earlier so uh, this is just a, a a much easier thing for fans to be able to follow to get excited about and and obviously so, uh, um, so strengthen ex- the field so the difference that that you're talking about is the difference that we saw this year for the guys on the tour championship and that two years ago I was at the tour championship and I was talking to Pat and Kazire who got in as number 30. So there are 30 players that play every year at East Lake in the Tour Championship. He's number 30. And the way that the FedEx Cup points were arranged, mathematically, it was possible for him to win the overall FedEx Cup. 
he would have to win. The point leaders would have to come in like dead last. The second to the top leader have to come in like second to dead last. Like stuff that just wasn't going to happen. And Patton knew that. And it was basically like, here is a chance for me to play East Lake Golf Club four or five times this week. Enjoy some some nice perks and some bonuses. Hobnob with some business people. Maybe make a little coin on the side or something like that. And um, it was a pretty stress-free week. And you would see that in the scores where there would always be a couple people who would show up who got in at you know number 27 or 30 or 24 where – Congratulations, you made it to Eastlake, which means that your schedule for next year, not only do you obviously have a tour card, that magic bonus gets you into all of the men's majors. It gets you into the WGCs, which are more free money. Like Life is going to be really good, but you're not going to have the stress of being able to realistically win the overall FedEx Cup. When they changed that so that basically you show up at Eastlake and whoever wins the tour championship wins the FedEx Cup, and we saw that this year with Roy McIlroy and his win, it totally changes the dynamics of the tournament. Everybody is playing hard. It's a 30-person field. You're like, hey, I've got a 1 in 30 shot before we peg it up. Now, they tweaked out the scoring system so that, as you recall, that Justin Thomas started with a couple shots in hand, and that was his reward for where he finished in the FedEx Cup point. But, but you get my idea like that people, people were playing harder, for sure, than when there was a point thing out there. And I would agree. I'd be shocked if everybody wasn't out there giving their best. Jin Young Ko um, is the player that is right now at the number one in the world, number one on the point list. She's won two point just north of two point seven million dollars, um, four wins, twelve top tens. Um, has this just been sort of like her year? I mean, it's her second full year on the LPGA tour. Did you kind of see this coming? As like, oh, she is going. She has the makings of being a dominant player, a world number one, or is this simply? everything sort of fell into place for her this season. And you're a little bit surprised by what we've seen from her so far. Well, Jin Young Ko was a runaway rookie of the year last year and, and, and arguably has the best swing on tour. So um, you knew that she, she was going to be a a presence, Um, but Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone thought that she would come close to winning three majors this year. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, we, we definitely thought she, you know, would be a player that would, would contend to be contend for, uh, you know, player of the year, be it, be a number one, uh, potential, uh, but, but not dominate like she did this year. And, and that, that bogey free streak that she had a million Un- holes in a row, <laughs> unbelievable, you know, I mean, I mean, these, these are things that, you know, I don't think anyone could have, could have predicted. So, um, so the, the big question with Jin Young Ko is we, we, we've seen a lot of players in recent years, uh, have a dominant season or have a dominant season and then kind of slack off the next year. They maybe come back the next year, but nobody's really been able to string anything together. Uh, we haven't had a true dominant player uh, in a long time. And and I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if Jin Young Ko can, can, can become that next player. I so, mean, she's... So, so that's where I was going with my next question is what's her ceiling right now? If you think about where you think she's projecting, say, the next three or five years, and I suppose a lot of this you say, you know, is about the quality of her swing and maybe what some of the other players may or may not do. But to me... Um, being a dominant number one is much is as much a mental thing as it is how good's your swing, how good can you read greens and, and putt well. Um, how much have you seen from her in terms of her confidence this year over last year growing, and how much do you sort of see her mental strength being a part of her game? 
Well, first of all, I, I, I think she's, she's handled this year beautifully because I know it was tough, you know, early on the adjustment of being number one and the pressure that South Korean players feel in particular, uh, when they become the number one player and, and, and she had some difficult moments this year and, and, and weathered the storm beautifully. And I think a big part of that is Jin Young-ko's English has improved. Uh, I mean, uh, it's almost a lot. like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 extraordinary how well she is able to communicate now. In in fact, you know, when we when we do an interview with her, she tries to answer every question in English and she might look down at her at her interpreter manager um, for for some help and, and understanding a question. But then she will answer in English and. And that comfortable, she, you know, she's able to express herself. She's able to joke around. We can see her humor now. You know, she's able to be more comfortable with her playing partners and make friends on tour. And, and gosh, that goes such a long, long way, way. Yep, in, in assimilating and into to, to being a global star and, and to want to be in America all this time and to want to, uh, to, want, to want to be number one. Because there's one thing to have the ability – but you, you, you also have to really want it. And, and I think some of the people that are, are, have the ability out there on the LPGA don't want all the trappings that go with it. And so they kind of hold themselves back. And, and I don't see Jen Young-Ko doing that. So does Brooke Henderson want to be number one? Brooke Henderson does want to be number one. Um, I I think Brooke Henderson um, plays an awful lot of golf. <laughs> yes, she does. And and uh, and I think she's probably still learning balance, how to figure out balance in her life. I think she, I think she just loves golf. She loves competition, and when she's not competing, she's still at home playing golf. And by com- by comparison, and she- Brooks Brooks Henderson played twenty six events this year. Jin Young Ko played twenty one. Nellie Corda played 19. Um, mm. Lexi Thompson played 20. That That's a lot more golf. Yeah, and it, and it works against her in the numbers game with the rankings. You know, the, I mean, NB Park, nobody's better at staying at the top, near the top of the rankings at NB Park with her, her small schedule. I mean, the more you play, um, the harder it is to become number one and and to move up the rankings. And, and that that's that's the case with, with Brooke Henderson. So, um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if she ever decides to, to change that up a little bit. And, 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 does she just not perceive it as a problem? Does she not perceive the travel, the fatigue, or just, she just like, it's in her DNA to just to, to play that much, you know, other things sort of be damned. I mean, somebody at some point must have told her, look, the, the elite players, when they sort of get to a place where you are, and she's number two right now on the list, is they, they play less. They're more selective. Yes, it puts a little bit more pressure on each individual event. Um, your divisor is smaller, but you probably are going to play at a higher level. You're going to be able to peak um, more often at the events where you'd want to peak. No one, Someone must have told her this, yes? <laughs> yeah, yes, I, I think she just... I, I think that's, not what, you guys. Her, that's <laughs> not what makes her happy. You know, I think mm. she just loves being out there and competing and, and, um, and would, would hate missing out. And I think that's just where she is right now. And, um, and, you know, as she, as she grows and matures and, and has other things in her life, she might, that might change and it might not. I mean, it's kind of funny though. Like, you know, 
you know, you look at some players like like Laura Davies or 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 Brittany Lincecum, you know, people mm-hmm. who don't really like to practice, who don't like to overwork, right? That's they get they they like to play, they don't like to grind on the range. Great, I've got some you things. I've got some things in common with a couple of great players. Awesome, there you go. <laughs> I mean, they're they're they they they're just that's not what they're that's not in their DNA. And so you say, well, well, what if Brittany Lincecum? you know, spend a little more time on the range. You know, what if, what if she got a swing coach? What if she did, you know, all the things that so many other players do? You know, could she be a number one player? Well, uh, uh, maybe Brittany Lincecum never wins again if she does that. You know, I mean, like, that that's not who she is. That's not what, what got her to the tour. That's not what yeah. makes her happy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's trying to figure out what works for you and, and, um, and then, it, like I said, it'll just be interesting to see if 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 Brooke changes her her mo because you know Brittany Lincecum hasn't changed in all this time. She pretty much does the same thing as she did her rookie year and has, has built a nice career. And now yeah. we'll try. It'll be like starting all over again next year, traveling with a baby. So that'll be fun. But, yeah. Um, but I'm just using her as an example of, you know, you, you, you say, well, if, if she did something different, if you're going to achieve, what would all you these, get a different result? Right, if, if you're going to be able to get to the point where all these women that we're talking about have gotten to, then, then you've, you've found a successful mix for yourself and everybody's mix in terms of like how much time they spend on the course, how many hours that week that they practice and do fitness and all the things for how well they're going to be able to compete inside the ropes. Some some people just go more than others. I mean, look at Vijay Singh when he reached, you know, the highest rankings and he had a cup of coffee at, at number one and then, you know, was firmly in the top three or four for a long time. He played, it seemed like, every single week. Tiger would play 15 or 17 events a year. Mickelson played usually 20. Vijay would be out there 25, 27 events a year. He was always out there playing. And when he wasn't playing, he was having these epic range sessions. I'm sure it made VJ happy, but that was just his mindset. And he obviously is a Hall of Famer, was able to achieve a lot of things. I get that everybody's a little bit different, but my sort of thing is that at some point or another, it seems that most of the elite players find that groove where they're playing enough to that obviously fulfill all their obligations. They give themselves a couple of mulligans in case they have a bad showing, but they don't play a lot of extra. They're not wasting their energies. They're not wasting their time. And um, 26 events is a lot. It's a, it's a lot of golf. Give me the name of two or three people that you think might you'd want to keep your eye on at the CME this week in terms of they, they're they not maybe right at the very top of the ranking, but somebody that, that you wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the day they're about a million and a half dollars richer. <laughs> well... I don't know. This isn't a surprise uh, by any stretch, but I mean, I think we're all we're all anxious to see what Nellie Corda can Korda. do. Yeah, that was that was um, the one I was thinking right there, and she's number five on the list. But t- talk to me a little bit about Nellie. Yeah, I mean, you know, Nellie coming off uh, a successful defense in in Taiwan, she has she has yet to win on American soil. So I think that's p- partly why um, you know Nellie is so intriguing. Um, you know, to see what kind of reaction and attention um a Nelly Corda victory would would get in the U.S. um and and also to have someone like Nelly um you know take that 1.5 million dollars would 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 be a big statement for the tour and 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 for American golf right now yep um what if anything should I expect from Lexi Thompson at this event she's a defending champion I was just looking at a, at a, a swing Lexi posted uh, you know she's been she's been working hard on on uh taking the jump, <laughs> the jump out of her swing and, uh, 
and and it'll it'll be interesting, you know. In Japan, I, 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 you know, she she didn't really dazzle us in Japan. Her first tournament, which was just last week, her first start since September. Yep. Uh, so she's had a lot of time to to work on things and um and and, and get prepared for these last two events. Uh, obviously, you know, her her victory at CME uh, was was it was a big statement um, last year, and and it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, if, if she can 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 put all these swing changes together and 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 show us something this week, because I I think uh, um, the LPGA needs her. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. They need Lexi Thompson winning. It frightens me a little bit that she's trying to take that jump move out of her swing now. I I, I get you know there's no no better time than the present, but she is a really great athlete. She could be really good at lots and lots of things. She spends a lot of time in the gym to improve and enhance her fitness. Um, she, I, I admire everything about her game and, and the athleticism about her game. My worry would be that if, if she is trying to create a swing that either aesthetically looks better or does something that is not instinctive to her. I mean, obviously like that, that jump, is a move that that her body wants to make that she was able she she's played in one with that move in her her swing. Um, it's a big tournament. CME is a big event, and I realize you know that she hasn't played a lot and she's maybe been working on this. But I think that athletes when they try and take out athletic parts of their swing or athletic movements in almost any sport that they have, unless it's a glaring, really big problem from a form standpoint. You know, you've got an ugly shooting motion in your in your free throws, or you're a baseball pitcher that has some really awkward motion that's just mechanically not efficient. When you take the athleticism out of their moves, to me, I hate that because that's that's what their body just wants to do. And if it works, let them have their own swing, let them have their own move. Have you, since you you obviously follow the LPGA tour a lot more than I do, um, does that bother you? Does it concern you, or do you think like? It's it's not a big deal. Let her let her work and refine her swing whenever she feels she really needs to do it. Well, I mean, I I, I think she's looking for consistency um, and 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 getting her driver back where 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 she wants it. Um, we've can, spent so much time yeah. focusing on Lexi's putting <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in in recent years, um, <laughs> With but you know reason. she was <laughs> correct correct. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, look, she play. She hasn't played very much. So if this if if this doesn't work and it doesn't give her results, I I mean, Lexi's not afraid to 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 go back to what has worked. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, she's um, she'll she'll go right back to it to to her natural swing. I'm I'm sure next year if she doesn't get results. Uh, but I also think that. I also think that Lexi really wants to get to number one. Lexi really wants to to win major championships, and 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 she's willing to try something different. And in, and in that regard, I, I admire that she's not just staying status quo. She's not just trying to, um, you know, work work with work with what mm-hmm. what she had. It's not good enough. She she wants more. And and and. And the LPGA needs Lexi Thompson wanting more. Oh my gosh! And so would would there she, be would there be anything better for the LPGA Tour than Lexi Thompson getting to number one? 
Well, no, quite frankly. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just trying to think like that would be if if Lexi Thompson were to to get to number one and win the U.S. Women's Open. I can't think of pretty much anything more that the LPGA Tour could wish for 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 the holidays. That would be the best holiday present is getting a crystal ball that showed them that in in the crystal ball when they stared into it. That would be the best thing for them. Yeah, I mean, it'll. So I, I mean, you know, I. I I, I want to see Alexi Thompson, you know, enjoying herself. I want to see Alexi Thompson who, who looks refreshed, who's, who's, who's ready to attack, you know, and, and, and who's just, just e- eager to get after it. That, that's what I want to see next week. And, and you know, I know, I know she's, she's playing not too far from home. She'll have, a, you know, a good amount of family and friends out there. And, and, um, and hopefully she'll be, she'll be playing relaxed. So, um, so I'm excited to see what, what, what she comes with, because like I said, I, I mean, I think, I think, I think her searching, uh, still trying to get to find something new to take her to the promised land is a good thing because I, 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 I want her to get there. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what you're going to be writing about, about the CME. I'm very excited actually for the tournament itself. Biff, thank you very much for being guest on, uh, the four press. Well, thank you for having me, David. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.